Hello and welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Jim Rugg. I'm Ed Piscor. Before we begin today's video, I want to let everybody know we do have a Cartoonist Kayfabe Patreon for you now. And the highest level, the King Kayfaber level of our Patreon, are watching this video record right now live in our chat room, going back and forth with some of them before we hit the record button. So we encourage you to check out our Patreon, see what level works for you, and uh, join us there for all kinds of perks, including getting these videos ahead of the general population out there. I will also remind you that we are working cartoonists, and the way we keep our lights on is by selling our books. So Ed has Red Room gearing up for a third season, but two trade paperbacks out and available now. Hip Hop Family Tree celebrating its 10th anniversary this year. X-Men Grand Design, WYSIWYG, add those to your collection if you haven't already. I have Hulk Grand Design, the oversized collection coming soon, Street Angel Deadly Squirrel Alive, and Princess of Poverty, and the Plain Janes. So again, if these are missing from your shelf, pick them up now before they go out of print, because, uh, boy, the way print is today, that can be expensive. But we are going to talk today about Jack Kirby's Dingbat Love. This book came out recently from Tomorrow's Publishing. They do a bang-up job. Super excited to actually dig into this and, and share it with everybody because one of the great things of the current comic book publishing landscape is that we are able to see artist editions. We're able to see original art that was never published. It feels like so much of this stuff we have access to now, it really is like a dream time as a comics fan. And man, this book epitomizes where we're at in a lot of ways. And with the great Jack King Kirby at the centerpiece. So what this focuses on are magazines that he was doing whenever he leaves Marvel at the end of the 60s and goes to DC. A couple of those came out in the Days of the Mob and Spirit World, one issue of each of those. But there was much more planned, and DC pulls the plug on them before most of them come out. So we're going to see what those books were inside of here, as well as Dingbats of Danger Street, his last Kid Gang comic, I guess, and uh, one, of the, one of the weird genres from the Golden Age, Attempts to revive it in the 70s. One issue of that is published, but a couple are created. So we're kind of going to go through DC's, um, in, a, in a way, pulling the carpet out from under Jack Kirby before he even gets started on that great 70s run at DC Comics. So, so before you even crack open the book, published by Tomorrow's, a bunch of DC comics that they paid for Oh yeah, and never put out. Uh, if you ever needed evidence that DC Comics is not a book publisher and doesn't care about that. They are just uh, the holders of 100-year-old licenses. This would be Exhibit A. Like, you're sitting on a gold mine of Kirby artwork for 50 years, and you're not doing anything with it? It's shameful. It's unbelievable when you phrase it that way. To think that they have this in their inventory, and they haven't figured out a way to publish it themselves. Yeah, and, and they couldn't be bothered. You know, they got, the, they got the, uh, they license it out to... Uh, Tomorrow's. You see right on this cover what we're going to see inside, which is a range from like pencils to the original art with inks to the colored, you know, ready to publish version. And let's dig in and start going because this really is a showcase for the eyeballs. And you see right away the original art on display. This book is full of it. There's a lot of, um, I'm going to say, research material but, but really it's in the form of these kinds of forewords and introductions and different people that were there or part of it like mark evanier um you know you often see him whenever it comes time to talk about kirby he was a long time assistant with kirby when kirby moves to the west coast mike royer has uh some some words in here so you know you really get a sense of what's going on and how did these books come together and what was the plan yeah so for instance one of the books in here is called 
uh, I think it's called Soul Love. I'm not sure if they actually figured out a final a final uh, name for it because it was never published. But one of the things that happens as DC starts to really warm up to this concept, Kirby suggests to them, you know, a, an, an older, middle-aged or older Jewish man is not the guy to be creating this book. Like, if this is the direction you want to go, you should hire some upcoming young African-American creator to oversee this book. And it kind of speaks to the disorganization behind the scenes of DC, which is what's described in here, as to how you do complete issues that are then just pushed aside, never published, uh, you know, complete loss of money. Goofy. And part of this book, half of it focuses on soul love and uh, true divorce tales. So we're going to look at uh, Ladies Man, you know, an article on some of the characters, the women characters that Jack Kirby created and kind of what his ability was in that front. And, you know, a couple of the great fourth world characters, Big Barda here and Granny Goodness. You know what? It's also worth mentioning these two Moros books. Uh, they are they are um, constructed by completely dedicated people who try to get as deep in the subject matter as possible. Uh, I think that most of that stuff, it, there, there's licenses involved. And those licenses often do not get re-upped. So there are books out there like the Kimoda book about mm -hmm. Miracle Man. Very expensive now. Uh, there's one on the image uh, revolution. Very expensive now. So these uh, are very finite books. They pretty much get one printing and then they go away. Yeah. And Tomorrow's just keeps the train rocking. So if there's any inkling that you want or need this book, you have to get it because... Uh, it, That's it, very true. It'll be very expensive next year, this time next year, maybe. Yeah, yeah. This is still available, but definitely um, won't be for long, probably. And you can see the cool pieces that they put together. You know, like you talk about Tomorrow's being kind of fans and researchers. They have to gather this artwork up, and in some cases, they don't get it all. You know, it's, it's really like a scavenger hunt trying to find copies of this stuff and see what exists. But I love something like this where it's True Life Divorce, issue one, <laughs> handwritten table of contents. You know, like this really is like the mock-up of the idea for this series. And the idea was to do a series of magazines that would be sold to, you know, in Kirby's words, he was trying to get new readers, different, different readers. I love the idea of True Life Divorce. Anybody that's unfamiliar with Kirby's history invented the romance comics that sold in giant numbers in the golden age so you come back 20 years later true life divorce now you've his ideal vision was that he was going to get guys to come in like john Romita senior you know these guys who had a history of romance comics under their belt but now everybody's older maybe you have a good marriage but you know people that don't and let's tell these divorce tells man I think it's a brilliant idea. So the first story that you see here, and it would have been an anthology type series, you know, several stories per issue, and that's what we're going to get. So in this first one, you're seeing reproduction of the pencils, which Kirby starts doing in the 70s. My bad. And thank goodness for him getting a photocopier and having so much of this preserved. If you guys read the Kirby Collector, you often see a lot of this work. Such tight pencils. I remember the first time I got a Kirby's Collector and was like, wait a minute. When he's drawing eight pages a day or something. I was expecting like almost Harvey P. Carr kind of stick figures and loose. And then you would see these pencils and everything's drawn. It's yeah. all there. But you gotta love that technology and that Kirby had access to make photocopies of all this stuff. Yeah, it's true. These are great. Um, but you see, again, 
when did they pull the you know when does dc editorial decide they're not going to do this like some of these stories you know this was done at the time this was not something tomorrow's commissioned it's, it says a lot about mike royer's process if he is in fact the anchor this might be coletta coletta yeah. and royer and, and d bruce barry are all represented in this volume right and i think this is coletta probably getting his faces in first i love seeing though like yeah where do you start what are you what are you starting with on your pages because everybody's a little different in that front but it's also neat to me that kirby was writing these comics directly on the pages and he just knew the exact like point size uh because his balloons would just be trace like the lettering always fit in there and it was always oriented pretty well i also love this stuff that you're going to see throughout here I hate to say it's like uh, Kirby trying to do fashion, but he's so good at like figuring out, like put a pattern on a dress or on a couch it's like or Kirby something. Tech. <laughs> Kirby it is Tech like Kirby dress. Tech. It is I, like I've Kirby seen, Tech. I've seen uh, dresses like that. Yeah, it doesn't, I mean, that certainly doesn't seem out of place, although they do talk about some of this stuff where, you know, the Kirby fourth world kind of language, pretty weird if it's like young people dating or something. <laughs> Sometimes it's very odd. I mean, Jimmy Olsen, man, like talk about marijuana cigarettes or something like that. This story, the model, you see an African-American woman as your main character here. This is what launches Soul Love. DC gets this in and looks at it and is like, oh yeah, we could go in this direction. And I don't know if that's a reflection of things like black exploitation would have been, you know, coming on at that point or what made them think that was a good direction to go. Seems like a brilliant direction, um, but also seems like ahead of DC. I don't think of DC editorial as being that brilliant when it's like, Let's try a new, we've got a new audience here, a potential new book. Yeah, that along with the, the divorce thing, like if it's very, very um, timely where it, there's like less of a stigma on divorce and mm -hmm. things like that. So you could like have explore that and civil rights stuff happen, you know, just, just prior to this. Man, this is almost Kirby. I feel like a self-portrait here of this guy. This is, uh, this is an older man hooking up with a younger woman. And they talk a little bit in some of the extra materials in the book about Kirby's ability to draw beautiful women. Because sometimes he's drawing warrior women, you know, like he, he has a wide range of that. And I feel like this is your kind of your classic Hollywood starlet type. It's as beautiful as it gets when it comes to Kirby, we'll put it that way. And the story in this, in this one, the other woman, is this older man who's a longtime love versus the younger it's a, there's a pattern with all the divor that divorce shit. It's like you put a couple extra lines under the eyes of the lady who's going to be getting cheated on or left. That's right. Uh, we have a ongoing character who was going to work through the true life divorce, and this mascot was going to be like a marriage counselor. He's the, he's the crypt keeper of <laughs> yes. uh, the divorce comic. And look just look at that. At that. That's, a, that's, just, that's a shady fellow, man. Like he's he's sneaking in the cut. He sees the chink in the armor. He's banging all your wives. It made me think of the uh, the professor in Weapon X. <laughs> um, these were just extra pages. There was like a three-page story at the back. Not sure exactly how this magazine was going to shape up. Again, it didn't make it to that point. So what you ended up with, if you're putting this book together by tomorrow's, is you've got these, these short stories and exactly how they were planned or how they would fit together in publication. Um, it's not known. You know, a lot of this information, Kirby worked fast, and a lot of this information... It's just not around anymore, you know, it went to the grave with him in a lot of cases. But as a fan, what you get to see here is pencils versus Mike Royer doing your inks. So you get that comparison, um, which I always enjoyed too. You know, Royer, the, the inker that I probably most connect to with Kirby work, because that was the stuff I could afford when I started buying Jack Kirby work. And I love it, you know. I think he's regarded as the guy who was most close to the Kirby pencils in terms of fidelity. Um, you know, whether that makes him your favorite Kirby inker or not, 
you definitely get to see him preserving a lot of the Kirby marks, yeah. uh, translating them to ink. And I always love this kind of stuff where it's like all the backgrounds, you know, you think of Kirby as bombast and action, but he drew everything. Oh, yeah, he, and he knows what to put in a room to make it feel like it should. Yeah, <laughs> and again, your true life divorce host. Sneaking in the cut, man. He's, he's got the body count. All right, so getting into some background now on Soul Romance. This is another piece that makes these books valuable. My other dude, man, there's only two, two cartoonists from Homestead, PA, me and Matt Baker. Nice. The, the creator of Headlight Comics. Yeah, and you get this history. You know, you get a history of some Matt Baker stuff and speculation as to whether he and Kirby knew each other personally. Oh, that's it, interesting. Around this time, he's working in Coletta's studio, so they probably at least knew of each other. You also get some history on black comics and what had been going on up to, say, 1970 or 1971, what had been published. And obviously, you know, not a lot. And then we get this kind of development, right? So mock-ups of what Soul Love may have looked like, um, some of the Kirby, like, washes, putting together a possible cover mock-up, and then ultimately, they enlist Alex Ross to do what would be, this is essentially like an issue, you know? So they're putting together from the pieces what this might look like if it were a real issue. And up to this point, we have either matte coat or uncoated paper. Now we're going to go glossy because the idea is this would have been a magazine. Yeah. You know, a high-end glossy magazine sold on the newsstands. And that's what you get. You switch paper stocks. And listen, listen, uh, Alex Ross is a business. See, he's a, he is an institution. He did not get paid commensurate to what he can charge for this piece in his tomorrow's book. That speaks to his love of the material, to his relationship with the Tomorrow's guys, to do this kind of thing. You know, he took a pay cut in a substantial one, I'm sure, to do that. And it just speaks to his reverence for uh, Jack Kirby. Absolutely. Um, I can't say enough about this kind of thing, though, being in the middle of this book, where it's like suddenly we've got a glossy magazine to really illustrate what this might have been like. You know, what the plans were for this. And one of the things I love is the lack of borders. It, it almost feels like animation, cell animation at times, the way this color is laid down. And uh, I know we've been talking, we talk a ton about color. And this is one of those places where coloring Kirby, and especially on gloss paper, what a challenge that is. Yeah. They're using gradations and things in backgrounds, but then like flat colors on the figures. And I think the figures, it works really well. The backgrounds, it, it works in some spots better than others, I would say. But I do think that's a challenge that a lot of people face making comics is figuring out how to do color well. I actually love these gradations of like the blue on the red. I think that's a really bold choice and it, and it works for me. I would not expect to like this, but, but I do. And I like it more than like maybe the purple-orange combo. It may just be the blue and red that speaks to me. But it's so interesting to kind of like see like... How do you color something like that today with all the colors that we have? It would never be done in gray. Like, like an old Kirby comic would never be colored with, with those kind of colors right there. So it almost looks like a collage, you know, to go with the gray and then have like the flat purple. Right, like it's a photo stat. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I, I, I like those things. Like to me, that's a happy accident that I might, might play with, you know, if I were going to try to color with this kind of uh, approach. But I also, it makes me think that the... Um, the color palette, you know, I think you've got to limit your color palette. Yeah, this is like this shit is. You you need to, you need to enlist some better help. I think, man. Yeah, these are more. This is more of that almost like the collage feeling, where like your background feels like you're pulling it out of something else and pasting those figures in the foreground. Yeah. I love the texture on her sweater. Well, what's your opinion on it? 
this works for me as a, as a collage. I don't love it here. You know, it really is like a panel by panel piece. And I think sometimes it works like this gradation. I, I don't care for, but I can see why you would do it because you want that point of interest. It'd be the equivalent if this were a light colored panel of putting a black spot in the middle. Yeah. But here in this case, you're putting a light spot and it is where you want to go. So I get it. Not quite there for me, but interesting. It's certainly an approach to color that I haven't seen very often and would build on this approach to color. And who knows, might build on it in upcoming projects. Look at this, even like a slick ad. This was one of the things that Kirby envisioned in this series of magazines. And they talk about in some of the ancillary material, DC had no outlet for this. Like they had no method of selling ads to the high-end advertisers, which is crazy to think of like, they're, I don't know, two blocks from Madison Avenue. Right. But also like they're, Aren't there like sales mechanisms for that? Aren't there people that would specialize? Like if you were going to do a line of glossy magazines, like hire somebody, even if it's freelance, is like your advertising liaison if you're really going to try to make this move. Yeah. You know, to just outright say we can't do that, that doesn't terrible. work for me. That it's does not work for so me. So disappointing. Yeah, that does not work for me because it's like you ain't even trying. The most successful cartoonist in comics at this time period, he shows up with these ideas. And instead of figuring out a way to like make this work, you just go. Mm, we don't. We don't know how to sell big, end, high end advertising. Yeah, a lot, a lot of a uh, lot of laziness for sure in the in the jobs of. How about this for uh, a totally different approach to color? Now you know, like this is all bright saturated pieces in this story. This piece reminds me of his original Young Romance, where yeah. it's like the collage, you know, the sculpture guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and then you know your ads. This is so cool to see this as like a real magazine setup where like these are the ads for Spirit World and in the days of the mob that actually were published. Yeah, we got a video on this one. And DC did books on both of these where they include the extra material that they paid for but did not end up publishing. And again, you'd have some editorial in your magazine. That was something that is noted that Kirby had in mind is that you would have some text pieces in here. This is the, uh, the original art is on your inside on the end pages this volume the way he can make a four panel page sing dude it's such an odd composition you know it's skinny and tall it does a lot of these four page panel. he that was that, this period of time he was doing that it looks good in the magazine format you know like it almost i feel like you could sell this easier to a non-comics reader because it's pretty simple to understand how to follow it yeah and i think if you worked on this style it uh also lends itself to illustration you know it's almost like same images and I think that that could have been interesting if you'd have seen a couple of a couple of issues worth of really working and thinking this way. Interesting spotting of black here, right? Just breaking things up, almost abstract. Mm -hmm. You know, you can see again the whole plan: Dracula forever, true life, divorce, soul love, the real face of war. Going to do war comics in this magazine S format. So fascinating that it's James Warren that got the big two. Uh, a nervous and 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 basically created a new market like like before James War Jim Warren did it those salespeople at Marvel and DC would be like oh we can't do magazines yeah we can't do it like we don't have a mechanism for that we do this size you just got to prove them you just got you 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 got to be road tested and then they'll they'll glom on and then you get to see uh, a piece of original art reproduction one of the stories see. 
I, I was going to say this, man, looking at looking at uh, the, the stuff, because like the faces did not look Kirby-ish. And you can see right here that, that they got uh, the, the Infantino Raiders or somebody to like redraw these faces. They, that ain't uh, Kirby. No. And they mentioned that in, in, again, in this extra text stuff that goes with this, that uh, his faces were very realistic. And they actually had their bullpen go over them and, and sort of comic book them up. It's so funny. They say, it's not, not realistic. He, he draws eyes far apart and they look crazy. Like, like, uh, that sounds propagandistic, man. Show me the realistic Kirby faces. <laughs> yeah, they talk uh, that it's greater variety of faces too. Yeah. So I think that he was probably very conscious of this idea of like, he's going to draw African-American characters as this, again, as he calls himself, you know, an old Jewish guy. <laughs> So I think that he was uh, looking a little bit closer at references for faces. Um, talks about Ebony Magazine was something that I guess Mark Evanier would have been sent out to like, go get a clip of this for reference. Look, these are future episodes we need to do, Jimmy. Got this one on the, we did this one. Got this one on the hook. That's a Joe Simon joint. Did we do this one? Cause I no. like this comic a lot. I know I've thought Didn't about do Atlas either. Yeah. So. This is your second half of the book is Dingbats of Danger Street. So now you get context of that and what was going on with that. And some of the stuff that he's drawing, you know, like Cobra, these like one-off kind of throwaway type pieces. Boys, boys uh, Ranch, I think we got a video of that. I, I'm, I'm not sure if we put that out. Hmm. Me and Tom. Yeah. Yeah, Boys Ranch is great. That one was reprinted in the 90s. Like, that's one of those I got hold of pretty early on. Yeah, we got an issue, though. Like, because, you know, it's Tom, dude. So Kirby's his guy. He gets those issues. All right, so there are two completed issues. Issues two and three, I guess it would have been of Dingbats of Danger Street. And again, the deluxe version of this book, we've got foldouts, we've got original art being shown. By deluxe version, are you saying there's multiple versions of this or it's deluxe in its production? Deluxe in its production. Okay. Like Tomorrow's really, I think, did a, did a phenomenal job of putting this book together. Absolutely, nice matte paper for this because we're not going glassy magazine, we're going comic book. This is another one, though, where I look at the color and I think, like, why? Because this color doesn't do it for me. And it's almost flat, you know. I mean, it is flat color. Sometimes they're using, like, a second shade. And I think it's getting away from the palette. Yeah. And it's... Uh, I think that's it. If I had to single out, like, what's the issue? Yeah, because once again, this would be, this would be like, purples, probably, uh, if it was in the comic. This is way more saturated. And there, there actually might be black in this. There's definitely black in this, which is never done, which is, like, against all... The rules set forth by the fucking renaissance masters and shit also you can see uh well maybe i don't know if you can see it at home or not but this looks like it's um more of a photocopy yeah compared yeah. to like this is a really nice piece Thicker. of art that they're using but this one's a little bit beat up yeah yeah i i, I like it because i like that smear of that lettering it feels very golden age yeah it might be something too like color wise you just need a little more texture on the color yeah. To, to help it this integrate. Stuff, this stuff you were talking about, man, that little 10% yellow. Like, they need to read that uh, Jordan Crane, Ron Regi, Dave Cho, Brian Ralph, Guide to Reproduction. Totally. It's the Bible. Uh, one of the interesting things with this Dingbats story is we get much more uh, serious, heavy. You know, that first issue is kind of fun and lively. This we're getting a little bit more serious where uh, our main character, we're getting an origin where this villain kills his family you know and so when he comes back in contact with that guy suddenly stakes are a little bit different than issue one dude can you imagine this this would be like that one great Starenko splash for his one captain america where it's like each panel he's using every 
color that corresponded with like a purple in the old 64 colors and and the blue like every mm -hmm. using every blue every red every green like that's a version of that it's such a striking whole page i love vengeance giant across the top yeah that, loving all the eyes in the middle unmistakable uh mike royer lettering uh kirby playing around with these kind of panels at that time which is real fun it's a cool page you know busting up your panel borders like they aren't straight because this is flashback and color indicating, reinforcing that. So inspiring. It's really nice, and I like I like this this first issue so much because it, it did feel like um, I don't know a little bit of a throwback, and and maybe even I don't want to say autobiographical, but anytime I see like urban streets in Kirby work, it makes me think of like Kirby childhood. Right. So kind of amazing that these things show up and that they exist. And again, let's look at what we're looking at here. Pencils on, on your left, and then the uh, the inked and colored piece. This is going to be D. Bruce Barry on this Absolutely. third issue. Yeah. Mike and, Royer was on that previous one we just looked at. And this is like, you know, this is the 70s. So it's like these thermal scan photostat. It's like pre-Xerox or something. Yeah, I don't know how they did it. Um, sometimes they look really good. Sometimes they're a little bit, um, you know, grayed out, not as smooth. But... They must have had to do the fold-outs. Like, if you did one, you know, for a two-page spread, you must have had to do two. Right. Or something. Because it's, it's strange. Like, this one doesn't make, you know, it's not obvious why you would do a two-page fold-out on here. So. It's cool to have the comparison, nonetheless. Absolutely. And you get to see the pencil and the ink and color comparisons throughout this story. Which, again... Just makes for a very very nice book i love this stuff there's i think pencils and inks is one of the books that we looked at yeah um of kirby the artisan edition yeah that, that compares those two things first issues of demon commandy and maybe omac yeah it sounds right um so you know if you missed out on that because that's one of those books that went out of print and has skyrocketed in price yeah this is a a, a pretty nice consolation piece because it does show a lot of his pencils a lot of his inks a lot of original art and this is one of the pieces where, where like I, I i want it i don't want the color like when, when i get to see the pencils next to it like i'm not looking for that computer color of, of modern day like let me let me see that pencil and ink i like seeing the d bruce berry versus the mike royer Absolutely. you know that you get a story from each one and you get to see their lettering and everything is really cool the one nice thing of having the finished art next to the pencils is it does make it very readable you know the, the more legi legible <laughs> lettering there's some there's some veteran I, like i was having a conversation and he said that uh kirby about bruce, d bruce berry's inking said something like I think the guy needs to work. Like I, I want the guy to have a job. I Meaning he did not was not thrilled oh, no. with with the D. Bruce Berry inks, but he also did not want to fucking fire a guy. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I don't. He, he's not my favorite Kirby inker. Yeah. Um, but like I say, and a thing like this, I feel like it's a really nice to have this side by side to see it in these different states, and uh, it's always interesting to see like how somebody interprets this stuff. When I first started getting Kirby collectors, like I would print out i'd scan and print some of the pencils and ink them mm. just for fun because they were so inviting and you know you can kind of see it some of these pages make me want to <laughs> right you know, you know his his pencils are so inviting i think for an inker i'm surprised inkers weren't just lined up waiting to be like yeah let me uh let me line up for dingbats of dangerous street three here's a question people and put something in the comments if you know the deal because this is dc comics and shit did joe Kubert ever ink a piece of Kirby and if mm. so tell us what that is because I would be so curious about that 
tandem. Hubert with his very organic, speedy line. Like, like, what would that look like on a Kirby? I yeah, want to see that. I would too. He has such a distinct incline. He does. Hubert. It, it becomes be it becomes his. It's very drawn. Which yeah. would be neat to see on Kirby stuff. Exactly. Kirby's pencils are so much more stylized than I ever expected. Like seeing the first time I saw a Kirby pencil, it really blew me away. Um, Steve Sherman was another assistant to Kirby in this era. So again, kind of like recalling what he remembers from this era, which again, well done tomorrows of like really creating a snapshot of what this stuff is, what do people remember of what it was, uh, you know, what, what the aspirations were for it what the circumstances were, why it didn't come together. And then Tomorrow's, man, I, sometimes I think they're underappreciated. You see they how, are much, underappreciated. how much work they do. These American comic book chronicle books that cover like decades, these are great. I think there were some in our library is how I ended up reading a few of them. They're so much fun and they go all the way up into the 90s. And uh, man, like the 80s, if you love like indie comics and stuff, they're great. They're awesome. They go from golden age to, you know, basically the end of the century. Tomorrow's is one of those great publishers that, you know, I bet with the way that they set things up, I bet everything makes a little, some money, but there's no gangbuster. And these are books that are so good for the culture of comics, but it's esoteric. Like you got to be deep and I'm just so thankful yes. that, that, uh, that they, you know, put their money where their fandom is and and realize this kind of stuff yeah it feels <coughs> it feels like they're really a um when you think of fandom like keeping a lot of comics history before it became accepted on a wider basis tomorrow is sort of the legacy of that yeah they really maintain this stuff and they track down the stuff that man i didn't know any of this you know like no. all of this is new to me and i scratched my head man true life divorce seems like it would have been a hit <laughs> Super fun, man. I, I know that uh, I'm, I'm scooping this one before the recording day is done. This feels like a kayfabe effect book. Oh, totally. And once again, those Tomorrow's books, once they're gone, they're gone. There's never a second printing. Yeah. Pick try, it up. Try to get those old Kirby collectors. You'll see. Kayfabers, if you want to mitigate that kayfabe effect, join our Patreon at the highest level. And you are watching us record this video right now. Dozens and dozens of people in that chat room right now who are also priming us for big interviews that we are doing after our recording sessions and they are getting the videos before anybody else but there are several ways to support the channel jimmy tell the people what books you got out buy our books my latest hulk grand design will be in comic shops in february and i cannot stress enough pre-order that one reserve your copy because it is selling fast on amazon it was a number one bestseller last weekend thank you all for that but if you want a copy i would say reserve that let your store know sooner rather than later street angel deadly scroll live and coming soon princess of poverty and the plain janes also available from me you can join me on patreon.com slash jim rug to see lots more of my comics and art in progress you can download out of print zines and mini comics there and one of my recent posts uh get into my recent batch of oil paintings for uh those who are curious so please join me there Red Room Crypto Killers issue number one is being solicited in your comic shops right now. Uh, it's going it's the 2023 round of Red Room Comics. They're going to come out uh, on a monthly basis over the course of four months. And you can uh, get the uh, trade paperbacks on the racks right now. There are uh, the Anti-Social Network trade paperback and trigger warnings uh, on the stands right now. Uh, Hip Hop Family Tree celebrating its 10-year anniversary this year. X-Men Grand Design is out in the wild, and the occasional WYSIWYG you might discover. Uh, grab those comics, support the channel, hit up my uh, Patreon, and you could read the serialized Red Room comics before they hit paper. Um, 
Link tree in the description below this video to get to all those destinations. Jimmy, tell the people what else we have. Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts, merchandise, stickers, mugs, fanny packs, and more at our spread shop. That link is also below this video. Another great way to support the channel. Give them those marching orders. We'll be on our way. Make more comics.